You're listening to Run With The Bulls, a podcast discussing a unique approach to everyday finance with everyday people. Run With The Bulls is sponsored by Mentoro, a financial wellness company. Now, your hosts, author Danny Kofke and the royalty of financial wellness, Whitney Queen. Welcome to Run With The Bulls. My name is Danny Kofke and I'm a motivational mentor with Mentoro. I'm joined by the president of Mentoro, Whitney Queen. Hey, Whit. Hey, Danny, and hello to everyone listening. Danny, can you believe this is our last episode of season one? I know. We're like official podcast hosts now. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> We've discussed topics such as financial adulting, day trading, and behavioral finance. And in this episode, we are going to turn back the clock a bit and answer some listener questions that we received from some of our episodes. That sounds like fun, but uh, I hope I'm up for this challenge. Yeah, that makes two of us. All right, let's get started. One thing we talked about this season was financial adulting and what that meant. We had a question come in from Christine. She asked, my son recently graduated college and has moved back home. He's struggling to find work in the career he majored in. What can I do to help him during this stage of life? I feel like that's a pretty common question. What would you say, Danny? Yeah, and I think especially right now, a lot of people are having difficulty with the way the economy is. So, yeah, what what a really great question. First off, I would have him start off by getting any type of job. It may not be the job in his field, right? It may not be a job that he loves, but start off by doing something. Not every job I've had, and probably you as well, have been rainbows and butterflies all day. But if he gets a job, any type of job, you have some income coming in, then you can start looking for a job in your field. So maybe you, you know, I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe you substitute teach or something. If you have a college degree, you can do that. But then in your your off time, you search in that field of, okay, this is where I want to be. I've noticed that some of those jobs that I haven't liked, I've learned a lot from and they've actually put me where I am today. Have you ever had a job, Whitney, that you absolutely hated? Oy vey. Yes, I have. And ironically enough, it was right out of college. I took a job. It was kind of in my field of study, but a little bit of a stretch there. So I I definitely believe in what you're saying, that maybe just starting out, get something. I've always heard that you're more easy to hire when you already are working (laughs) and you have some work to show for yourself. So I went into it with that mindset. I learned so much there because I was in that entry level, nitty gritty position where I didn't love it every day, but I gained a lot of resources and know-how. Okay. How about how about you? Yeah, I actually um, had an experience. It was before I graduated from college. It was actually my first year, second semester of college. I uh, Let's just say I didn't apply myself very well and grades started suffering, just wasn't doing what I needed to do, right? So it got to be summer. And at that time, uh, we lived in South Florida and my family owned an appliance business in, in hot and humid South Florida. So that summer, I was in charge of delivering the washer and dryers to this entire apartment complex. And in that, I think there were like 12 buildings. I had to do it upstairs, downstairs. And at that time in Florida by 930, it's like 95 degrees, humidity's like 100%. So just drenched in sweat. And I do remember after a hard day of work, I was standing in the showroom and I was just kind of thinking, and I'm like, you know, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. 
if I don't apply myself right now at school and I don't do well, I may not have options. I may get to be 43, 44 years old and I have to do it. Right now I'm 18, 19. It's pretty easy. I have a lot of energy, but at some point I'm not going to. So uh, it was kind of a wake up moment for me and I'm, I'm glad to say the next semester in college, I made the president's list. So I got straight A's. So that was kind of like my wake up moment of, okay, you know what? This isn't a job that I really enjoy. I've learned a lot from it and kind of woke me up as well to, to you know, I, I enjoy working in air conditioning. So I became Absolutely. a teacher. <laughs> That's awesome. And it's so true. And thinking back to that first job that I experienced, I had the complete opposite. I was in upstate New York. And so I remember in the South, if it snowed, you had a snow day. Uh-huh. But at this first job, I never had a snow day. So I was having to drive and walk uh-huh. around out in the snow. And it's just all those different moments mm-hmm. really are a good realization of what's most important and kind of where you want to go with your life. But you have to start somewhere. Yep, absolutely. So in another episode, we discussed day trading, or as what we refer to as frat boy gambling. Uh This question came from John. So he says, I make $75,000 a year in a stable job, have no debt except for my mortgage, invest 15% of my income in a 401k, and have six months of savings built up in my emergency fund. I know little about investing and was wondering if it would be okay to play around and day trade with $100 a month. Yeah, that's a that's a really great question, John. We talked frat boy gambling. It is kind of one of those things that you notice a lot of times when these things come out. Like I remember the Robin Hood thing. It was like in February. What wasn't around then? College football, right? So that's what you got to talk about. So when there's no college football going on, you got to find something, right? So eh, maybe a good analogy. I don't know. You know, getting back to John's question. So we did. We discussed the pitfalls of day trading, and it was centered around that Robinhood app because it made national headlines. And I love the financial details that John gave in his question because it helps me answer it with some confidence. So he said he makes seventy-five grand a year, has a stable job no debt except a mortgage, invests already 15% of his income, and has six months worth of an emergency fund. He's asking, can he invest a little in Robinhood or day trading? In his case, I say yes. Danny, I can't believe this. I know, I know, right? I may have caught you off guard, and maybe some of our listeners are like, what are you talking about? But let's go back. John said he has no debt. He is saving a good percentage of his income already in his 401k, and he has six months of savings built up. In addition, he makes a good income and he's in a secure field. So $100 a month is a little more than 1% of his salary. So to me, I kind of look at this as entertainment money for him. Instead of maybe buying that $4 latte or scratch off ticket, he wants to try to make a little money and he wants to do day trading. Since John checks four boxes in his financial wellness journey and is already in great financial standing, I think in his case, $100 a month is okay. I wouldn't go above that. And if you're someone that doesn't have savings, isn't investing for retirement, obviously we talked about it in that episode. That's not the right thing. But in his case, once again, it's kind of like entertainment money for him. So I say, okay. I think that makes total sense. John is probably a minority though. So if you don't check all those boxes that he does, day trading is maybe not a sound financial decision for you. And I would even add to that advice for John, maybe put a time frame to it and say, okay, I'm going to do this for three months for one quarter. And at the end of that quarter, I'm going to evaluate if this really is worthwhile. Sure. Is, is it something that I'm seeking enjoyment from? Mm-hmm. Am I producing the results that I want out of this or could that money be better served? 
served in another aspect of the entertainment budget. Right. It's just make sure you don't exceed that either. You know, it can get kind of tricky. Oh, I'm doing well. I'm going to add more. No. So we just kind of have to once again look at it as entertainment money. For instance, if I was going to Vegas that I have, you know, this much to gamble, I'm not going above that. So Mm -hmm. we mentioned in that episode, it's kind of like gambling. So, okay. So time for a break. And when we come back, more questions from you, the listener. All right, welcome back to the season one finale of Run with the Bulls. In this episode, we have been answering listener questions. This next question comes from Lisa. She asks, I am interested in increasing my income by developing a side gig. How do I even go about doing this? What a relevant question, right? I don't think there's ever been a time in our lives that is better than right now to develop a side gig. From driving Uber to teaching an online class, the options are pretty much unlimited. So true, Danny. To get started, Lisa should first figure out something that she enjoys and she's good at. So mm-hmm. what are your hobbies? Is there a hobby that you could monetize, perhaps? Just enjoying something doesn't mean it will lead to money, though. I mean, I like singing, but Simon Cowell would probably not like my voice, right? Uh, <laughs> but, you know, you can do karaoke night every weekend, but it will be for entertainment and not income. Right. So my side gig actually led me to co-hosting this podcast years and years and years ago. People said, gosh, you kind of know what you're doing with money. You should write a book. So, you know, over the course of time, I wrote a book, got it published, wrote a few more books, and then just different stops in life led me to where I am right now, sitting in a studio with you as a motivational mentor with Mentoro. But it was because of that side gig from what, I guess 16 years ago that I did that. So I will say, you know, going back to that question too, it may not happen overnight, Lisa, and that's okay. But if you're doing something that you you enjoy, it may turn into something, but just don't always count it as an income. So if you really need a true income, you may want to consider like an Uber or something, Grubhub, where you're actually getting that money. If you want to say, play the guitar and you're decent at it, maybe you're in a band at night and that's kind of what you do and you earn a little side gig and that's your passion. And then maybe over time, it'll develop into something else. I think that's a great point. And just to reiterate from your story alone, a big key is that it didn't happen overnight. It's something that you have to work hard at if, if it's something that you really want to make an impact with. That's another key to the side hustle. Just give it some time. Definitely. And I think right now we're in such a, I got to have it now, I got to have it now, that yeah, sometimes it does take a little time. Another item we discussed was the B word, the budget. And this question comes from Tiffany. Help. I just got back from summer vacation and financed the majority of it using my credit card. What can I do to make sure next summer's trip is paid for in advance? Mm. So been there, done that, Tiffany. Vacations can be so tricky since they're not a part of our normal budget. However, to ensure they don't follow you home in the form of bills, maybe consider making them a monthly expense. Let me explain. We'll make the math easy and we'll pretend like we're still in the month of July. Next July, you already have a beach trip planned and you'd like to have... $3,600 saved Mm -hmm. to spend there. Here is where we make this vacation part of our monthly budget. The beach trip is 12 months away, so every month, starting with this one, we'll save a set amount. 
to determine this monthly amount you need to save, we will do some simple math. Uh, you want I like to- simple math. Like <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> so some simple math would be 3600 over 12 months. We take this amount to divide it by 12, and that equals $300. Mm-hmm. So Tiffany, if you save $300 every month, then you will be able to have $3,600 to put towards your vacation next July that you can pay in advance. Nice. And that will be a vacation worth remembering. And, you know, you can do that with all sorts of things. Um, I can refer to those types of things as known upcoming non-monthly expenses. But basically, you know they're coming up. Things like maybe your homeowner's insurance, if you don't have that taken out in escrow. Christmas. I set aside money every single month for the Christmas fund. So when December rolls around, I have a Christmas fund. Same thing for vacation. So, and Tiffany had a, a specific question about a vacation. But if you have any of those things that maybe come up once a year, go ahead and you just turn them into monthly items. And then it just doesn't take such a big hit out of your budget. Or you don't have to go into credit card debt to pay for them. Absolutely. One thing that someone told me a long time ago was when you're coming home from a vacation, generally you're kind of sad because you just had all this fun and you know as soon as you get home, you've got to get back on the grind. Uh So someone once told me on your way home from the vacation, start planning your next one Uh because that will make you excited. You have something to look forward to. So I think you can apply the same principle there rather than coming home and feeling that feeling in the pit of your stomach of, oh gosh, now I have to pay for all this fun I just had. Uh If we're doing everything in advance and preparing a year ahead or kind of focusing a year ahead, that makes it a little bit more exciting. And again, you can focus on those positive memories instead of that gooky feeling you get when you get home. Yeah, sure. And kind of going back even to the holidays, I've heard like, I think it's like the third Monday in January or something is statistically like the most depressing day of the year. (laughs) And for a lot of people, holidays are over. Weather in some places are pretty cold. But then a lot of times the credit card bills are coming in from your holiday spending. So it's just like this culminative effect. It's like, uh, and so if you did like what you said on the summer vacation, maybe in January, start planning for next year's holiday. It no may kidding. not make you feel so sad. No kidding. Or to think that's usually like a three day holiday weekend. Maybe if you were planning ahead, you could spend that day being happy on a long weekend versus being depressed. That's interesting. Go. I've never heard that before. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, nothing like sitting on the beach, knowing your vacation is already paid for mm-hmm. coming up after the break more of your questions. And we're back in this final episode of season one of Run With The Bulls. We've been answering your questions and I have another one for you, Danny. All right. This one comes from Pete. Pete asks, this is definitely a first world problem. I recently got a raise at work. However, I don't feel as happy as I thought I would. Why is this so? (laughs) What an interesting question. Whitney, it's a little quiz time. Let's see how well you have been paying attention. In an earlier episode, we discussed a magical salary in which we are the happiest. Do you remember the amount that salary was? You know, Danny, I've been taking careful notes, as I always do. Uh uh And so I'm going to say $75,000 a year. Bingo. That's right. Yeah, I should have known you had it. but, But to get back to your question, Pete, while making more money is never a bad thing, money in and of itself doesn't always lead to happiness, right? And we kind of talked about that all in a complete episode. I didn't think we had a a quote from some great financial philosopher. Who, Who was that, Whitney? 
I think it was the Notorious B.I.G. It was. It was. That's right. Mo money, mo problems. That's right. <laughs> but, you know, money, it can eliminate some worries. But remember, money is immoral. It's neither good nor bad. It's what you do with it that matters. Mm, I like that. So what would you recommend that Pete do then? First off, if I were Pete, I would think of things this added money could do for me. So instead of focusing on things that maybe I could buy, I would think about experiences that could happen because of this money. Right. Experiences often do bring us more pleasure than things alone. In addition, experiences can lead to everlasting joy as we look back at photos and remember these fun times. For sure. And I'm always reminded of when we think about this, do you remember right now, Whitney, one present you received Christmas last year off the top of your head? Right. You asked me the same thing. Nope. But if you asked me, what did we do? I remember that because we have those family traditions that we wake up in the morning, the girls open their stockings, we have cinnamon rolls, we go down to my mom. Those are family traditions that we have had for years and years and you know, loved ones have passed, but we still hold on to them. And that's the thing I think with a lot of stuff, we think money, okay, it's gonna buy us something. Things come and go and I think it just shows, you know, I don't remember a Christmas present. I got them. I don't remember what I got, but I remember what we did. So I think, you know, kind of going back to Pete's question. I would focus more on experiences and not things. Great points, Danny. Yeah. And sorry, mom, if you're listening, I'm sure what you got me was lovely. Oh, definitely. And Justin did too, I'm sure. Yes. Yes, of course. Yes. <laughs> I like the idea of eliminating items I don't want to do. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy time. Right. So another thing, you know, instead of maybe buying an experience and you kind of alluded to it, we could use it to pay for something that we don't want to do. Right. So for me, I don't mind mowing my grass, but other people hate mowing their grass. So maybe if Pete's in that boat, he doesn't like weed whacking or whatever, he could pay someone to do it and free up some more time. And then I'm going to get to our last question now, Whitney, and I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Mm -hmm. So this one comes from Jill. She writes, and this is kind of a tricky one. I've been married for five years. No matter how many times I try to talk with my spouse about money, it always leads to a disagreement. How should I approach this differently? Do you have any thoughts on this, Whitney? Hmm. That's a tough question, Jill. You know, we did an episode earlier this season on love and money where Danny and I had our spouses join. And I think what I summarized from that episode and what I've found throughout my own personal experience is that it's really important to have a solid understanding of how your spouse feels about money. Mm -hmm. So in that episode, we ask a couple of questions that we recommend that you speak with your loved ones about that get to the bottom of this very thing. Sure. It could be that your spouse just views money differently or places a different value in money. Yep. And that's why when you go to communicate about it, it's leading to a disagreement because your perspectives are different. And Definitely. there's nothing wrong with having different perspectives about money. In fact, yeah. my husband and I have different perspectives. So, he yeah. Values, Tracy and I too. Yeah. yeah. So Justin values freedom and I value security. Uh -huh. Those two can often come together and we try through communication to make sure that they do, but sometimes they can work against each other because Justin wants to be free to make his own choices and I want to save up everything mm -hmm. in a nice, neat little nest egg. Right. So I think it's just important to know maybe where your spouse is coming from, what their feelings about money are so that you can have a more transparent and understanding type conversation. 
Yes. And I think you had a key word there, communication. I think that's the biggest key. So you kind of in, in your and Justin's case, you're working towards the same thing. I mean, it may be a different world. He wants freedom to do stuff. You want security, but ultimately you want security. So you have freedom, right? Mm-hmm. So it's not, I'm against you. And I think that's a lot of times when, uh, when couples get into trouble, it's like, okay, you know, in this case, maybe her husband thinks she's being the mom, right? And telling him what to do, but that's really not the case. So going back to your question, Jill, personally, I think it's time to maybe take a date night and just have everything cleared and just have a a good in-depth discussion. A lot of people don't want to talk about money. We alluded to that many times, but we have to. Um, Once you get married, you're in it with your spouse. So you got to work together on it. And then at least in my life, and I know for you too as, as well, Whitney, like being in control financially with your spouse, it strengthens a marriage so much more than a bank account will ever show. So, you know, once again, Jill, just go back, have an open dialogue and just communicate and express, okay, what's bothering you about it. And who knows, you may see that it's the same thing with him as well. So, but mm-hmm. you got to open up that dialogue. Absolutely. And to reiterate some of those questions from that previous episode, and I think these questions apply to anybody in your family. If you're now having to work with elderly parents or mm-hmm. with your children that are getting ready to leave the home, having these types of conversations with them are just as important. How do they feel about money? What value do they place in money? If they were going to spend a hundred dollars and not tell you about it, would you mind? How would you feel if that was a thousand dollars? Right. And I remember one too is like, how was it when you were growing up? Did your parents talk about yes. money? Because a lot of times people keep these deep seated feelings about money because of how they were raised. So you may have been raised in a household that didn't have much. So you're really tight, even though now you may make enough to do some fun things, but you kind of go back to that five-year-old child again, and you're holding on. So communication, communication, communication. Absolutely. Well, Danny, that does it. Season one is finally officially in the books. Wow. Thank you. It is crazy. Thank you for a great first season. And thank you all for listening and contributing your questions. Catch us next time as we run with the bulls. Run with the bulls is sponsored by Mentoro and hosted by Danny Kofke and Whitney Queen. Learn more by visiting mentorogroup.com.